May the Holy Spirit come upon you. May the Holy Spirit empower you. God bless you guys. We need you. All right? The second thing is what I'll call true truth. That's generational truth. The second thing is what I'll call true truth. You say to yourself, that's a weird thing to say. True truth. Hopefully it'll come up here in a second. True truth. So, um, that was backwards. Uh, let me give you just a real quick, one, one last little bit of philosophy here. This is, a, this is a, a gross oversimplification, but let me just give you a couple of terms. There's a lot of conversation about modernism and postmodernism and where we're at and things. This is the postmodern world. Modernism, uh, basically, uh, these are my words, deified human reason. We're smart enough, we can figure it out. Science is teaching us that the human mind is great. There's a process for everything. We can understand it. And, and there's, this, there's this emphasis on human reason. Please hear this. One of the things that I seem to be hearing from Christians is a longing for the good old days of modernism. Modernism had some serious, serious problems. Serious problems. Let me tell you something. The Apostle Paul, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, said this. He said, the natural man cannot understand the things of God because the natural mind is, is at enmity with God. The modern idea that human reason can figure out everything it needs to be and should be glorified as the supreme measure of all things had serious problems. Because the human mind is seriously fallen and at odds with God. It's a serious problem. Postmodernism came along and said, we're going to be skeptical about this. We don't, we don't go for all of, this, all of this deification of reason sort of thing. And one of the things that came out of postmodernism was, well, since we can't trust human reason, how do you really ever know what's true? In fact... There probably is nothing that is absolutely true. It's all just a matter of perspectives. What perspective do you see it from, right? And so the emphasis on story and what's your story. And now the phrase that we're hearing today, that's my truth. Well, you don't get your truth. You can have your experience. You can have your history. But you don't get to make up your own truth. Right? And so postmodernism, in some ways rightly, and, and let me tell you something, there are some very positive things about postmodernism. There are some things that are really good if we know how to make use of them. One is that there's a whole revival of the power of stories. And i got to tell you this, but it just so happens that the Bible is full of really good stories. <laughs> I mean, really good stories. And another interesting thing about it is that part of what we're supposed to share with others is the reason of the hope that lies within us. And that means telling people your story. Because I'll tell you what, they might argue with your conclusions, but they cannot argue with your story. Right? 
we need to understand there's some, there, we, we have some advantages that we can work with today. This tendency that we have to want to crawl into a hole and cry ourselves a river and everything has become so bad and it's so awful and the whole thing is against us. You got to see that, the, that every day has its problems and every day has its advantages. There are some things we can make use of. I've been struck by this recently. In Ecclesiastes, it tells us that the notion of the good old days is not a healthy notion to live under. It says, why do you say of the former days that they were better than these? This does not come from wisdom. That's what it says. You know why? Because we look backwards, we see through rose-colored glasses. We see through rose-colored glasses. There have never been good old days. Listen to this. The fall happened really early in human history. <laughs> if there are good old days in the past, it was the Garden of Eden. And we were kicked out of there a long time ago. Amen? It's all been... The human existential issues of what it means to, to figure out how to live in a sin-fallen world and somehow find God in the midst of it all, right? Doesn't exist, good old days. So we're just living in a different age. We're living in a different age. Now, the result, indeed, is a certain crisis of knowledge. What can you know? How can you know it? Is it possible to really know anything? And this great question, what is true? It's a repetition of the question that Pilate asked Jesus. What is truth? What is truth, right? This question of what is true, yes, that's a challenge in the day we're living in. So let me just give you a quick definition, and, and I want to close with this and, and see if we can just drive this point home and be done. My brothers and sisters, when you think about truth from the, from the perspective of Scripture, there's a word that should immediately come to mind that you should associate with truth. We can bring up the next slide. Um, the word truth in Scripture means reality. It means reality. You know, one of the reasons why what we see happening in our day, one of the reasons why it's so heartbreaking is people are trying to create a reality that isn't really reality. And it's heartbreaking because when you try to force yourself into something that's not real, you are always going to be in a dark place. It's always going to be a problem. Reality is the way we understand truth from Scripture. There are so many implications of what that means. But let me just close with a couple of them and be done. Can I say it this way? The Bible is, first of all, the proper lens through which we are supposed to see and understand and interpret life. In other words, the Bible is actually reality. It's reality. So, as an example, when the Bible provides us with instruction for human sexuality, it's because in reality, that's what's good for us. 
That's the way it was designed to function. Anything other than that is not going to go well for us. Because it's a bucking of the system that was originally set up by God as the reality for which human beings were created. We have to, we have to remain the church as the support and the pillar of the truth. We have to remain rooted and grounded in the word of God as the appropriate lens by which we see the world, we understand the world, we interpret life, and we come to, to see how we relate to the world that we're living in. We have to see it through the lens of God's word. Secondly, please hear this. The Bible is not merely theoretical and informational. It is experiential and existential. That is, it answers the questions of life for us. Judah, thank you. Sorry to put that responsibility on you this morning. The Bible is not merely theoretical and informational. It's experiential and it's existential. What do I mean by that? Well, there's a lot of implications, but let me just say it this way. Believer, if your current conduct in your home is destroying your marriage, something is amiss. That's reality. At some point, we begin to realize that life has a way of showing us where we've gotten away from God. When things are breaking down all around you, it might not be a bad idea to take a step back and say, Lord, have I properly understood the way you have instructed me in this area of my life? Is there something that I'm missing here? You know, I, I, we live it, we try to help each other in it, but um, the challenge of two people living together under the same roof and sharing life together becomes an unbelievably intense mirror and magnifying glass on the ways that we are not yet anywhere close to being sufficiently like Jesus. It exposes things in us. And, and the temptation is for everything within us to self-justify and fight that one out to the bitter end. When, when what we really need is to be transformed into the image of Christ and to adopt a position of humility in which repentance becomes possible and life transformation is his work by his spirit in us. And man, it is not a life for the faint of heart. Not a life for the faint of heart. What am I saying? I'm saying, I'm not, I'm not saying that if you obey God's word, all of your life will go perfectly. I am saying this, however, that 
that we should be looking at what is going on in our lives, referring back to Scripture and saying, Lord, what does your word have to say to me about this thing that I'm going through right now? What does it say to me? What does this mean for me? And, and we should be allowing, please hear this, we should be allowing the structure of our lives to be redesigned by the things that God is teaching us through his word, by his spirit. We should be conforming to him. We should be conforming to him. Life and experience has a way of revealing to us when we have either misunderstood or disobeyed God's word. And God's word teaches us what the human condition is and how life should be conducted, not in theory, but in reality. In reality. And this is a, it's a challenge for all of us. It's a challenge for all of us. Lord, what is it that your word is saying to me, challenging me in, that I need to conform to in my day? Now, Um, I want to wrap this up this way. So we read 2 Timothy, uh, 1 Timothy 3, verses 14 and 15. The church is the pillar and the ground of the, tr of, of the truth, is the way that verse ends. But I want you to hear the verse that comes next because this is the essence of truth that you and I need to hold on to. Let me read to you the verse that, we just, that, that, that we've been focused on. In case I'm delayed, I write so that... Leave that up there. In case I'm delayed, I write so that you may know how one ought to conduct himself in the household of God, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and support of the truth. And as soon as he says that, what does the Holy Spirit inspire Paul to say? The church is the pillar and support of the truth. And then he gives us what the common confession of the church is. This is the truth that the church is called to uphold. This is it. Right? By common confession. So, I have the verse divided the way I do for a reason. The verse opens with this statement. By common confession, great is the mystery of godliness. And then the way, the way uh, Bible scholars have explained it is something like this. What, what comes next appears to be a combination of two things. It might be one or the other. It seems likely that it's both. What comes next is one of the earliest creeds of the church. It's a doctrinal statement of belief. It's a statement that this is what believers all share in common. We believe this. And then listen to this. It probably became a song. It was a statement of, of, of belief, a creed, that probably got set to music in the church when it would gather, would sing the words that come next. By common confession, great is the mystery of godliness. And here it is. Go ahead and put it up. 
Great is the mystery of godliness. Did you switch that slide? He was revealed in the flesh. He who was revealed in the flesh was vindicated in the spirit, beheld by angels, proclaimed among the nations, believed on in the world, and taken up to glory. In other words, the truth of the church is Jesus Christ. The truth of the church is Jesus Christ. They said, that's the creed that binds us. That's the worship that we sing. Man, I wish I knew what music that was set to back in the day. He who was revealed in the flesh was vindicated in the spirit, was beheld by angels, proclaimed among the nations, believed on in the world, and received up to glory. That's what they believed. That's what they sang. That is the truth that they said the church will uphold. That is our creed. That's it. Right there. The gospel in a nutshell. My brothers and sisters, gender issues matter. Sexuality matters. But can I tell you this? If that's where the church invests its fight primarily, we will lose because you're speaking to the unregenerate who don't have a reason to live the way you do. The fight of the church is the gospel, always has been, always will be. We are fighting not for gender, as important as that is, and a truth that we should uphold. We are fighting for the souls of men and women. And it's an amazing thing how when people get born again, their understanding of the world gets reoriented. I, listen, I don't know. This is my perspective. I may be wrong. This is what I think has happened. I think that we had a certain cultural understanding that we all enjoyed living under because it had a religious underpinning to it that the majority of Americans had kind of bought into and agreed on. But we lost that majority, and now the, the cultural enjoyment of, of certain moral understandings has eroded. And what we're doing is trying to uphold and fight for and keep in place the moral things that united us at one time, and we don't realize that we lost the foundation it was built on, and that it's not sustainable without the foundation. I've said this, I will continue to say, I believe this to be the case. Our greatest need is a revival in this nation. We need a great awakening. We need a great awakening. Because you can't found biblical morals on anything other than Jesus Christ. You can't. There's no reason for it. The creed of the church is this. This is the truth we uphold. All the other truths that the church upholds derive from this. This is who he is. And this is who we're committed to. And because of who we're committed to, we live our lives the way he told us to. That's the order. That's how this works. 
Someone who's not committed to this has no reason to live the life that you live. There's no purpose in it. Right? This. This is the primary weapon of the church. This is the primary weapon of the church. I'm not saying there's not a time to vote according to morality. There's not a, that we shouldn't be engaged in discussions like that. I am saying this. I am saying, my brothers and sisters, what unites us is Jesus Christ. And what must get, sorry, what must get a hold of our hearts is that that person that you're seeing on TV or that you're sitting across from in your, in your employment or that you're at school with or wherever the place is, they are not your enemy or a threat to you. They are people who desperately need Jesus and you're the version of him they're going to see, and you've got the hope of the gospel that you're carrying with you. And if they've got a shot, let the Holy Spirit of God come upon you and give you courage to love them into the kingdom of God. Amen. Of this I become more and more convinced. Anyone that's around here, just by virtue of how long I preach, knows that I can't stand bumper thick sticker theology. It's thin and it's pointless. But if there's a popular phrase that I think actually has some merit, it's this one. They don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. There's some value in that line. My brothers and sisters, the gospel is increasingly going to be driven by the relationships that we choose to maintain. And man, it's for that reason that I absolutely praise God that he has people in this body that he has spread into the school systems. <laughs> Thanks, Brother Chris. And into the realm of politics. And into, into government. Into, into carpentry and trains and shipyards. And why? Because like salt spread through the earth, the Lord Jesus has put his church to be his church and to carry the gospel to a world that needs Jesus. Amen? We must not lose our courage in this day. We must not lose our courage in this day. We must remember our weapon. We must remember what the creed of the church has been. It doesn't need a new creed for the 21st century. What it needs is the same old creed it's always had. Amen? That's what it needs. May we have the courage to uphold the truth. Last thing I'm going to say is this. Because the fate of the world rests upon that creed right there. The fate of the whole world rests upon that creed. And can I, be, can I, can I personalize it as I close? The health and the wholeness of life on earth and then the eternal destination for that unbeliever that sits across from you in the next cubicle over depends on this creed right here. Whether or not they're in heaven or hell depends on that right there. Whether or not they can listen and receive what you have to say because 
you're sitting at a lunch table with them and they confide in you that their home is falling apart, their marriage is in desperate trouble. You can offer them some hope there, but I, I gotta tell you this, wholeness in life is only found in Jesus Christ. Everything else is improvements and band-aids. And I'm not saying that to, de to demean it. There's a place to help people. But I'm telling you, if, if, if what you want to see for that person across the, the, the table from you is wholeness in life, you're going to have to share the creed with them at some point. They need Jesus. They need Jesus. Because he steps into our lives. Listen to this. He steps into our lives. And when he steps into your life, here's what you discover. What you discover is that God was in Christ, reconciling the world, including you, to himself. And that the next thing he does is he commits to you the gospel of reconciliation. And he tells you, go into the world and beg them, beseech them, be reconciled to God. Be reconciled to God. Because he'll step into your life and start putting it back together again bring you into a place that is right with the Father, receive you into glory. Amen? In a world that is increasingly going mad with its own wisdom and is going to, to reap the whirlwind for it, it'll be our voices that have the opportunity to speak sanity. But we're going to have to give them the gospel because that's the thing that provides the energy for the other stuff to take place. Amen? Amen. God help us to be the pillar and ground of the truth. In order, the pillar and ground of the truth. All right. I don't know how long I preached, but I'm just going to close in prayer. Lord, help us. Lord, um, we, have, we have been given this time in this place, and we are your church today. Um, parents, would you lay your hands on your children for a second? Lord, raise this generation up. Bless them. Lord, bless them. Uh, Lord, help us as a church not to sound doom and gloom and give them a reason to be afraid of their day. Lord, you put them in this day, you're going to enable them for this day. In modern terms, they've got this. Not because they've got this, but because the power of your Holy Spirit has got this in them. You're able, Lord. You are able for this day. So anoint them by your Holy Spirit and strengthen them, give them courage, keep them grounded, keep them sane in an insane world. Help them to see through the lies in the messages that are being thrown at them every day. Give them courage for their day. Give them courage, bless them, Lord. Make their lives an unbelievable example. In, a, in an unstable world, let them be the voice of reason and the calm presence that, that just screams security to the world around them and makes the world ask, what do you have that I haven't got? Lord, bless these, these young adults and children in this congregation. Bless them. I thank you for them, Lord. I thank you for them. Anoint them by your Holy Spirit. Raise them up in the power of your might, Lord. And Lord, for the men and women of this congregation that you have spread around the neighborhoods and the workplaces of central Pennsylvania for such a time as this, 
O Lord, let us not back down and let us not lack courage. Let us not be easily moved. Lord, keep us in our places. Put us in a place that is fruitful. Lord, in the, in the places you have called us to be, use us by the power of your Holy Spirit. And Lord, we unite our hearts around the creed and we proclaim Jesus Christ, Savior, Lord. We bless his name. We bless his name. And we ask that in this day, the light of the gospel, it used to shine with a certain agreement among people. Let it shine by contrast now to the darkness of the world around us. Let others see that there is a hope we have and be, and be drawn to it. May the gospel shine through us, Lord. Give us courage for this day. Lord, raise up these your people. Strengthen them. Fill them with your Holy Spirit. Each of us with the places you have called us to. Bless your people, I ask. Thank you for the privilege of being your church today. Lord, what a high calling it is to be part of the pillar and support of the truth. We thank you. We love you and we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 You're a mighty army. God bless you. God bless you, the pillar and support of the truth. Be with you throughout this week. <laughs>